0: The Old Testament lesson is Psalm 46. It can be found on page 563 of your Pew Bibles. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord.
1: The New Testament reading is Romans 12, one through four, can be found on page 1137 in your pew Bibles. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Good morning. Good morning to you all, and good morning to all of you on Zoom. We uh, continue on in our series, as Jen said, is part two of seven weeks, looking at the theme of being together, togetherness, and how uh, God invites us to become who we are through belonging in community. Um, let's, uh, let's pray together. Let's pray together. And anytime we come to the scriptures, our understanding, of course, is uh, only illumined by the work of the Spirit. And uh, let's pray and invite the Spirit to help us understand. God, we thank you for uh, your goodness. We thank you that you are a God who, the scriptures tell us, is love. That within your very self exists wonderful community. And we thank you, God, that you have made us in your image. You have made us to enjoy fellowship with you and with one another. Spirit, uh, move in our midst, move in our minds and in our hearts that your love may transform us for deeper union with you and one another. Help us to understand this text, that your word would guide us deeper into the wonder and the beauty and the goodness of these things. And so together, all God's people prayed, amen. So, we are doing this series on community, and if you notice, the title of this sermon is called Learning to Be Alone, and you might be wondering, Tony, is this some kind of sick joke, you sick, twisted deviant, which, if you're wondering that, first of all, I want to say, whoa, just calm down a little bit, all right, let's not freak out here, uh, But that question of, okay, a a series on community, why are we talking about learning to be alone? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, The reason we're talking about learning to be alone is because it's through our learning to be alone that we actually learn how to be in community. It's, it's hard to be alone with ourselves for very long. Jen and I, uh, in this past year, have established this, this practice in our lives of uh, each month, one of the two of us go away to this place called the Hermitage in Three Rivers just south of Kalamazoo. And we go usually on a Sunday night uh, through a Tuesday morning, so it's two nights. This is a place anyone can go to if, if you're able to get away for a night or two, and it's all this land and this old barn that's been converted into these simple rooms, and they ask for a donation of $70 a night, and it's quiet there. There's not really cell service or internet unless you find a hill somewhere, Uh, and they provide your meals, and you gather, and you sit, and you eat in quiet. There's usually maybe three or four other people there. They have little cottages. And it's become this important practice for the two of us, uh, each one of us, again, going away each month, um, which is hard to do. We share one car. We've got little kids who have to get to school. It's not an easy thing, but it's something that we've each determined is important for us to go and to be alone, to sit in the quiet, to not even bring projects or other things that might distract us, but to just go and be still. And to be honest, it's kind of a a terrifying thing that we've each noticed ways in which we start to kind of it's, it's funny, we long for that stillness and that quiet. We, we talk often about, oh, I just want to go to this quiet place and little kids climbing on us all the time and all talking to us at the same time. And it feels like our days are just flooded with texts and emails and things that have to be done. And, you know, the last time uh, Jen went, Last month, it was her turn to go, and uh, she started coming up with these excuses. Uh, some friends were in town, and they were around Sunday night. She's like, yeah, maybe I'll go tomorrow, but I'm worried about you getting the kids to school. And I said, we can walk, or sometimes we'll borrow, you know, Erica and Tim's car. Or we borrowed the Jeltima's car. And I finally said to John, are you avoiding being alone with yourself? And she gave me permission to tell the story. She said, no, 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 I just think, you know, practically. And a few days later, she's like, you were totally right, Tony. She doesn't say that often, because I'm usually not right. But she said, you were right. I was avoiding being alone. And so then she called the hermitage and ended up going the next weekend. But, but it's hard to just sit still. It's hard to do nothing. There's this restlessness That so many of us feel this anxiety, this fear of being left alone with our our thoughts. Because in that quiet place, in that stillness, what emerges is our deepest fears, our deepest insecurities, the desires that we have that scare us, that we don't know what to do with. And the thoughts and the doubts or the old wounds that, haven't yet been dealt with or processed or brought out into the light. And these are all the things that start to creep up. And it's always there. It's always in the background. But most of the time, we just go through our days running from these things, distracting ourselves from the pain of being alone the deep insecurity that comes with loneliness, the reminder it is of our mortality. Rather than confront that, it's a lot easier to just watch Netflix or go on our phones and scroll or turn on the TV or all the ways that we busy ourselves or to get active and do something. It's hard to just sit and be still. But the invitation of God is to no longer run from what uh, Thomas Merton and writers like Henry Nouwen call the, the, the essential loneliness of being human, but the invitation of God is to face it, to walk into that space, and to discover in that desert The miracle of these desert flowers, as Nouwen puts it, that spring up even in this place that so often we experience as death. And this isn't, I should say, an all-or-nothing thing. This isn't like we either spend our whole lives facing this desert of loneliness that each of us feel, or we... Spend our lives distracting ourselves. We're all every day, now and talks about sometimes moment to moment, cycling through this, this pole, he says, of that deep loneliness. And what he says is the, the task to merge towards facing that, accepting that loneliness and coming to a place of of finding God in that space. And so uh, This morning, we're going to talk about this relationship between our ability to be alone with ourselves, our ability to enter into that desert place, and our ability to be present with one another in a real, flourishing, genuine relationship. And we're going to explore that through the lens of Romans 12, just looking uh, at verse 2, and really just the first part of verse 2. Uh, and we're going to do that in three movements. We're going to talk about the cost of conformity, the gift of transformation, and the possibility of community. The cost of conformity, the gift of transformation, and the possibility of community. I was trying to fit those into some nice alliteration. I had a good start with the cost of conformity, but I couldn't find a t-word or a another c-word for the other two, but we're going to do that again through looking at Romans 12, uh, specifically 2a. Um, I just want to read again verses 1 and 2, and uh, and step back and remind us of the the bigger context here before we really jump in. Uh, if you were here last week, or if you listened to Jen's sermon, she talked about that. Therefore, and therefore, in view of God's mercy, and how some biblical scholars, some theologians, have talked about. This moment in uh, Romans, in Paul's great masterpiece, his magnum opus, as some have called it, of this book of Romans, this is really the the linchpin, this is the point where Paul transitions from 11 chapters of of doctrine where he's talking about the, the mercy of God, God's grace, He's talking about the cross and the wonderful love of God, if you think of Romans chapter 8. And he comes to this rhetorical flourish at the end of chapter 11, where he talks about God's wisdom being beyond our imagination, God's glory being beyond our reach, as he finally, in the midst of Romans 9 through 11, and the questions of the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles, he's just saying, these things are too wonderful for us to know. And then here in verse 1 of chapter 12, he pivots into the practical application of those 11 chapters of doctrine. It's all, therefore, in view of God's mercy, or as John told us, in view of God's many mercies, in view of this wondrous love that nothing can separate us from. Therefore, here's... How we are to live in community together. And I notice, looking at these verses this week, that before he really gets into verse 3 and the the bulk of chapter 12, which is all that practical how to do life together, there's these lines about personal transformation. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, verse 1 says... Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. I I think of that as an opening of yourself. Because of who God is, offer your life. Open yourself to this love and grace and mercy of God. And then he says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then he goes on about, do not see yourselves as more highly than you ought, as better than others. He goes on to talk about understanding self as belonging, as a part of a whole that is the body of Christ. And then he goes on to talk about doing life together, but it all hinges in this, this transitional moment of do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. The cost of conformity. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. What do those words mean? Conform and transform. Transform. Marva Dawn, uh, which Jen quoted last week, you'll hear us probably cite her a lot. She's got this great little book called The Holarity of Community, Romans 12, and How to Be the Church. She says the difference between being conformed and being transformed is that to be conformed into something is to be, to be forced into a shape from the outside. It's to be bound. It's to be... Pressed and pushed into something which doesn't inherently fit. Whereas to be transformed is a process of being shaped into something that that happens from the inside out. Rather than being squeezed into a mold, it's, it's being transformed as being being who becoming who you are growing into your fullest nature and your truest self through a transformation that begins with the deepest parts of who we are and then flowers out she says from there do not be do not conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed And she goes on to talk about the patterns of this world, and again, this isn't an all or nothing thing, this is something of the battle that we all face every day and and throughout our days, but what are the patterns of this world? Well, the, the patterns of this world are all the ways in which we as individuals or humanity, creation collectively, live as though... God's love doesn't exist. It's all the ways that we live in fear, that we live with this mindset of scarcity, that we live out of this belief that we are not enough, that we are insufficient, that our self-worth has to somehow be proven. She talks about our consumerist culture as one of the patterns of this world and how We, even Christians, get sucked into this competing for possessions, this hoarding of goods that is so different from Jesus' invitation to sell our possessions and to live simply, trusting that God will provide like God provides for the flower of the field and the birds of the air. It's the competition that that creates in us. And how we need to feel better than others to somehow feel good about ourselves. Constantly defining ourselves as special or somehow better in whatever way than the people around us to feel important. It's buying into the lie uh, that is our culture sense of time. This is something I think a lot about in my own work with my ADD coach and the ways in which... The world understands time and how time is supposed to operate. Our culture is obsessed with this need to be efficient, this need to always somehow be progressing and advancing, this need to be busy. And so what happens, she says, is we we fill our lives with this frenzy of activity, and it's at the expense of deep relationships. And we... We don't Sabbath. We don't take a day to simply be still and enjoy the good gifts because we feel like there's more to do than than there's hours in the day. And so we work and work and we feel exhausted. And the lack of deep relationship, the lack of stillness in God's presence just leads to that deep exhaustion. It's all the way, she says, that we live with this, the the shoulds, as she calls them, this performance principle, the the inappropriate expectations that we put on ourselves. Sometimes we put on them, they come from ourselves. Sometimes they're put on us by others. But we, we let these expectations drive our lives. And then we're dissatisfied and left feeling empty. She says, nowhere in the Bible does Jesus call us to be successful. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus call us to be successful. And perhaps I wonder if sometimes faithfulness looks like disappointing people or disappointing our own expectations of being willing to be called a failure by the world's standards do not conform the the greek is written it's this this ongoing process it's this continuous action that needs to always we need to always be resisting this this pressure this this pressure from our world to conform to these patterns this binding that traps us that makes us slaves to other people's expectations or the expectations and values of this world. And instead, the invitation is for us to be transformed. Thomas Merton, who I've you know discovered this past year and you've heard me talk a lot about, I've been reading his New Seeds of Contemplation and rereading it and rereading it. And he's got this beautiful picture of what, what he calls... Mass man, it's, uh, you know, he's writing in the 60s, so it's gendered language, but mass man, he says mass man is, uh, most of us, I think, would fit this characterization, it's the crowd, it's those of us who go through life mostly asleep to who we truly are. He says we're anesthetized and it's to the point where we're not even aware of how unaware we are, of how asleep we are as we walk through this world, never having the the courage, never taking the step of retreating from the world to discover who we are. And so Mass Man goes through life living out other people's expectations, going through the motions, avoiding facing that desert, that abyss, as Merton calls it, entering into that stillness where we discover who we uniquely are. And instead, we go through life never actually developing any thoughts of our own, any opinions of our own. Our conversations are the spitting out of talking points or cliches. He says, we're not actually communicating with each other because our conversation goes no deeper than saying the things I'm supposed to say at this point in this social setting and you regurgitating. He says, making the appropriate sounds that you're supposed to make in response. But it's not really communication. It's not really communion or community because the work of... Developing the inner self has not taken place. And so we go through life avoiding that that willingness to be alone, but at great cost of never actually coming to discover our inner self and to find God in that quiet place. To see what unique convictions and passions emerge, what, what vocation, and uses the phrase, emerges when we're willing to enter that quiet place. So that's the cost of conformity. But there's good news. Uh, We are offered by God the gift of transformation. Do not conform, Paul writes, but be transformed. Do not let the world force you into a mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Greek here is in the passive tense. Be transformed. This isn't something that that we do on our own. He doesn't say go and transform yourselves. He says, be transformed. Remember, this is all in view of God's mercy, in view of the amazing, unconditional love and grace of God. I think of Jesus in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, in his instructions on prayer, saying, when you pray, go... And find a quiet room and close the door. And Jesus, in his own life, of course, modeled this pattern of retreat. Jesus, uh, often, the Gospels tell us, would go off to be alone, to pray. Even Jesus, even God incarnate, the Son of God, felt this need to go off and to retreat, to be alone and to pray Even though there were often crowds around him and people still waiting in lines for Christ's healing, Jesus was willing to walk away from that crowd, to even disappoint people, to leave work undone, to prioritize being alone with the Father. And our Old Testament text today, I love Psalm 46, which has been such an important psalm for many of us through this last couple of years in this pandemic how it climaxes in this moment of be still and know that I am God and just those words for me just feel like fresh air rushing into my soul be still and know that I am God and again it, it's terrifying to be still it's harder work than just putting on another movie on Netflix. And and there's, to be sure, there's space for Netflix and movies. There's times for, you know, the, these masters, uh, these writers that I keep referring to, they each talk about, really, it's, it's more of an, an inner solitude that needs to be formed in us. They say it, it has to involve some form of actual retreat. There has to be some... Going off into a quiet place, and and maybe maybe you live with housemates, maybe you have small kids like we do, and you have to hide in a closet or under stairs to find that quiet place, or to go for a walk, a bike ride. Uh, someone I was talking to this week said, uh, my husband can't be alone because he just he falls asleep. He can't sit still; he falls asleep. He needs to go out and bike. Right? There are different ways that we. Encounter the divine. That we go out and we breathe in that fresh air of being still. And and Merton and now they talk about uh, you can develop this and you can learn this inner stillness, this solitude, this inner self that's been developed. That and they now and mentions and you can watch a movie in a way that's an escape, or you can watch a film as a way that is still preserves that inner solitude that's engaging with the world. This isn't about becoming a hermit and just exiting the world and its problems and retreating to a monastery. One of the the beautiful things in the testimonies of Thomas Merton's life is how he became this very public figure from a monastery in Kentucky and then a hermitage. Just He lived this life of solitude, but his correspondence... Was with all sorts of spiritual leaders and people throughout the world. It was deeply engaged with the times and the trials of the 60s. So, this isn't about just, you know, escape from the world, go sell all your CDs <laughs> or whatever, you know, delete your Amazon HD music account or Apple Music. This is about a, a developing an inner stillness, an inner solitude entering into that desert facing that essential loneliness that we all feel and in that space discovering that god is already there of facing our deepest desires and fears the old wounds our insecurities, all of that. And meeting God in that quiet place and seeing how in that space God begins to transform us from the inside out. That the God whose love is constant, is unconditional, that is always with us is the God who already loves us as we are. It's this amazing gift of transformation. And uh, what happens is this, this inner self begins to emerge out of the place, a, a self that, whose identity is as God's beloved. And it begins to free us from the patterns of this world. It begins to free us from living lives that are driven by fear and anxiety and avoidance and the need to please everyone. What emerges is a self that is grounded in God's love. I think of the the words we're singing, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. Those are words that that show up in in Romans 8, that are part of uh, Paul's reflecting back in view of God's mercy, that he distinguishes between living out of a spirit of fear and a life of slavery, he calls it, or living life guided by the Spirit, guided by love, a life in which all that we do is motivated not by fear, but out of love. And there's a difference to, you can even be on the same church committees and serve in the same ministries or be involved in the same social act action to protest or write letters. To, and if it's driven out of, now has a great chapter out of this, out of this reactionary uh, being thrown by all the burdens and the troubles of this world, it's a recipe for burnout. It's exhausting and it's not sustainable. He says, of all the wonderful things that happened in the 1960s and all the great protests and social action, his critique of it all is that too much of it was just reactionary and wasn't sustainable. It wasn't driven out of a depth, out of that inner self that had been molded out of this firm, grounded identity as a child of God. What happens in this space of transformation is that we become who we truly are. We start to see each one of us, our own unique form that God made us to be, starts to emerge. That Instead of living life bound, conforming to other people's expectations, being trapped in the, the trends of mass man, we... Are set free to discover who we actually are. So, that's the cost of conformity and the gift of transformation. Lastly, let's talk about the possibility of community. And uh, what is Back to this uh, opening question, what does this ha- learning how to be alone have to do with community? Well, can you see yet how the ways in which our own uh, coming to discover our, and develop our inner self, our capacity to, to not live lives running anxiously, avoiding... Uh, all the pressures and fears that that so often drive us, how the development of this inner self allows for real relationship. Nouwen talks about this as he says, if if any of us go into our relationships not having done this work, not having faced, uh, not having learned to be alone, we will necessarily act out in our relationships, needs that are unmet that no other human being or no community can really heal or meet. He says most of our quarrels, most of our fighting are actually ways in which we expect of one another things that only God can give. That no one can be, that the, he, he talks about there's a, an essential aloneness that needs to be developed and preserved for actual relationship to take place. Because without that, there's, n- there's no two selves to actually engage one another. That, that we just collapse into this enmeshment or this... Uh, Codependency rather than this healthy interdependency, and so he talks about the need for each of us to establish ourselves in this quiet place to to come through through god 's love to discover who we are, for us to actually engage one another in real relationship and if you don 't do that work no no spouse, no friend, no church will ever be able to satisfy what you're looking for other people to satisfy. What we need is to enter that quiet place, to come into encounter with the God who loves us as we are, and to learn to be present with the God who is present with us, And then what happens is it frees us to actually be present with one another. We, uh, you know, when we bring on new elders here each year, uh, which we're starting to do nominations and and talk about um, more people coming on, on Council as Elders, We, we do training for elders, and we talk about how to do elder care, pastoral care, and we we emphasize that the, the key to good care is to simply be present. If you know the phrase, calm, non-anxious presence. Most of us are pretty horrible at this, and uh, none of us fully arrive at this, right? Again, this is all, think of these terms, these, these categories as a, a spectrum more than something we just accomplish. It's not black or white categories, but... Most of us have a hard time just simply being present with someone rather than anxiously trying to fix the other person. We're way more comfortable trying to offer solutions or give advice, or we think that what this person needs is maybe more information. That you know, I found when I was depressed, exercise was really helpful. Are you getting out and exercising enough? And But the thing is, everybody knows you should exercise more and most of us already know the connection and and sometimes there's a helpful reminder or there's uh, there's at times a place for advice or uh, an insight but mostly what people are starving for is for presence for someone to sit with them and treat them as more than just a problem to be fixed. Right? Think of all that that communicates. That, you're, you know, I, I respond anxiously because I feel this need to fix your problem. People don't need more information. They need presence. And when we, are, when we learn to be alone with ourselves, when we discover the God who is present with us, In Christ and through the power of the Spirit when we can be present with ourselves then we can begin to offer one another that gift of presence and what a powerful gift that is and so we tell our elders it's not our job to fix people or to fix their problems for them it's not our job to save people either if they're struggling with their faith Right? These are things that are beyond our pay grade, actually. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. To, right? And, and I think of all the ways that it's a struggle for us as parents to not anxiously try to control our children's faith. Uh, we, we reactively freak out when, when our kids perhaps walk away from God. and instead, what if we were just present? And able to, just as God holds space for us, hold space for one another. To actually have faith, to trust that it's the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives. That we don't need to manipulate or control those things. That we're called to love and to love through simply the gift of presence. And the irony in it is that that's what actually has a lot more of a chance of the Spirit transforming the people we care about than through our anxious, trying to advise or control or fix. This amazing gift of presence. And when we are able to, when we learn to be alone, when we can sit with ourselves, when we can receive God's loving presence and then offer that to another this incredible thing starts to happen, this beautiful thing that we just might call community. I'm going to close with a uh, story that Henry Nouwen tells in his book. And I'm, uh, in case you didn't already see, I'm doing a mini small group starting this Thursday. The next three Thursdays, uh, talking about this book, Henry Nouwen, Reaching Out, to The Three Movements of the Spiritual Life. And you're all invited. We're meeting over Zoom. Um, I think it's 7 to 8.30, the next three Thursday nights. And you can read the book. It's not a huge book. I think it's like 130, 140 pages. Uh, and it's these three movements of the spiritual life. Um, and uh, so this is my little plug for that. But this the story comes from that. And if you don't know who Henry Nouwen is, he... Uh, was a priest and um, academic Catholic priest in the 20th century. He died in 1996. And uh, just briefly, his story is, he went from being this um, accomplished academic who taught at Harvard and Yale and Notre Dame to reaching a point through his own work and writing where he ended up walking away from all of that he left it all on the table and joined uh, a, one of these communities called LARSH, which is a community where people, uh, yeah, a community for people with severe disability to live alongside able bodied people and to do life together. And so he found himself going from this place where he's revered and admired to this place where he's uh, sitting with people who didn't care at all about his PhD, and how many books, and how accomplished he was. And then he, he's written so many beautiful books out of this, this place, ab- about community, about life together. But he tells the story of, of uh, back when he um, was teaching how a student, a former student of his, comes to him. And... Says to him, I'm not coming with any problems this time. I don't need you to advise me or counsel me. I'm just coming to say hello. And he says, I simply want to celebrate some time with you. And so they they sit down on the floor across from each other in this classroom. And this is what Nowen writes. He says, we sat on the ground facing each other and talked a little about what life had been for us in the last year about our work, our common friends, and about the restlessness of our hearts. Then slowly, as the minutes passed, we, be- we became silent. Not an embarrassing silence, but a silence that brought us closer together. We could hear a few cars pass and the noise of someone who was emptying a trash can somewhere. But the silence which grew between us was warm, gentle, vibrant. It seemed that while the silence grew deeper around us, we became more and more aware of a presence embracing both, both of us. Then this friend of his says to him, it is good to be here. And Henry says, yes, it is good to be together again. And then they sit and are silent again, he says, for a long period. And as a deep peace filled the empty space between them, the man said hesitantly, when I look at you, it is as if I am in the presence of Christ. And now and writes, I did not feel startled, surprised, or in need of protesting, but I could only say, it is the Christ in you who recognizes the Christ in me. Yes, he said, he is indeed in our midst, And then he spoke the words which entered into my soul as the most healing words I had heard in many years. The man said to Nowan, From now on, wherever you go or wherever I go, all the ground between us will be holy ground. And when he left, now and writes, I knew that he had revealed to me what community really means. We've got five more weeks to explore life together, but the invitation of God and this important moment in verse two of Romans twelve reminds each of us of the necessity of learning to be alone before anything like community can really take shape. And uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then if the band is willing to be a little bit spontaneous. I I think it'd be great. They're like, "Uh uh-oh. What's he going to (laughs) say? I think it'd be great to, uh, instead of the song of response on the sheets, if we could do that I'm no longer a slave of fear song again. I just love that song so much. And Jackie said she's willing to get it on the PowerPoint. Does that work? you all like, we just burned those sheets. (laughs) Dang it. All right, Uh, But let's pray. Um, Holy Spirit, you are the one who invites us to, to renounce the patterns of this world, the ways in which our culture's consumerism and scarcity mindset and existence out of an identity It's based on a lack of your love. Lord, you invite us to not conform to the patterns of this world, but instead to be transformed, to open ourselves to work that only you can do in us, to renew our minds by the truth about who we are, that we are your children, that we are given the gift of being able to cry out, Abba, Father, to be renewed by the truth that most true about who we are is that we are your beloveds. And then to begin to look around and see that, oh, they too are beloved of God. They too are a precious human being made in the image of the Trinity. Lord, thank you for your wonderful mercy, which we see most clearly in your coming to us in Christ, in Christ's life and death and resurrection and ascension. Lord, set us us free from a life of slavery and fear, for a life of love and of, ge- of deep community with one another. Not a cloistering, but a, a community that points us outward, moves us into social action. That We might be a, a living testimony of your grace and justice in this city and in this world. All God's people prayed. Amen. Amen.